This is the Horse Radio Network. Rehabbing a horse with a long-term injury is crazy enough, but how do you stay sane during this laid-up period? This week, we're discussing what feel actually means, and is horse poop actually bad for the environment? Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 52 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, How's guys. Hello. So, Ellie, I hear you're dying up there in the heat. Yes. It finally yeah. got warm. Yeah, well, it's just, I live on a mountain, right? So there's usually always a breeze, but today it's just so humid. So it's, it's like I'm swimming, but I'm in the air. It's not for good. All the, for all the listeners that can't remember, but we always laugh because Justine and I are always baking and love it. And Ellie's the one that is comfortable at like 50 degrees. Yes, 50 <laughs> would be so good right now. Matt <laughs> got mad at me because he's like, you can't have the air conditioner on that long. I'm like, watch me. Oh yeah, I would have it on all day. <laughs> So are you riding like super early, like Jess does now to beat the heat? So I try to, but I'm also not a morning person. So, mm. and I work at an humane society from like nine to like one or something. So I like try to ride one in the morning and then like the rest at night. So we'll see. I do rotations. So I'm like, if you don't get ridden for a week, uh, it's fine. <laughs> We'll just keep rotating you in. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, eh, all right, next week you'll be first on the list. <laughs> awesome. Well, this episode is brought to you by Flare Strips. And you guys know that we're avid users. And I kind of wanted to ask, have you used it, Ellie? Have you gotten I have into not. Them? You've got to get into them. Because especially like with the heat and everything else, like it just really helps them breathe. Like our big horses, like they're developed by veterinarians and we use them, you know, when their horses are galloping, but you can use them like every day. And so it's something that is pretty awesome that like it basically has a spring-like action that supports the soft tissue over the nasal passages and reduces the airway resistance. So it improves airflow. So you guys need to check it out. Go to flarestrips.com. And this week, Erica from our Facebook group, I love our Facebook group, Heels Down Happy Hour Lounge. Please join if you haven't. We have some awesome cocktails and everybody leaves us fun like mailbag and different ideas to talk about. So you guys should check it out. So Erica in the Facebook brought us the Scoffla cocktail and it sounds awesome because it's got bourbon in it and I do love a good bourbon. So it's two ounces of bourbon or you can use rye whiskey, one ounce of dry vermouth, a quarter of an ounce of fresh lemon juice, half an ounce of grenadine, and two dashes of orange bitters. And this is like kind of seems like an old fashioned, but has a bit of a different kind of twist to it. And I think it sounds awesome. But basically, you just put all the ingredients in a shaker and serve it over ice. Sounds awesome. The grenadine yeah. is what got me, like the bourbon with the grenadine. Yeah. Well, and the lemon juice like that. Mm -hmm. It sounds so good. Yeah, I could go for that right now. Absolutely. Right? Maybe with like extra ice. Day. Yeah. <laughs> extra ice. No, just a couple cubes of ice for me. So that's perfect. Well, now into news. Ellie, you kind of have something interesting. Tell us about yeah. yours. So have you guys ever heard of the World Horse Welfare Initiative? I haven't. 
Okay, well, I'll give you guys a little background. Um, Horses, mules, and donkeys are still an essential mode of transportation for people in Haiti. I mean, it's how farmers get their crops to market, how kids get to school. Like, they're really a lifeline for rural Haitian communities. So this initiative is working with Four Legs, which is the name of a Haitian animal charity foundation translated to English because I would totally butcher uh, the French pronunciation. But anyway, the project is to provide rural communities in Haiti with proper training to take care of their working horses. So they're working with like 10 towns and they'll learn everything from basic horse care and veterinary treatments to saddle fit. So their goal is to not only help owners in improving the health of their working horses, but also to open up opportunities to earn income to local people. So they, you know, want people to be interested in becoming veterinary agents, saddlers, and saddle pad makers, which will help, you know, one of the poorest countries in the world. So what is really cool is that the UK government is matching every donation made to the initiative until September 17th. So they're hoping that they can double their impact. That's impressive. That's awesome. That is really awesome. First time the UK is doing something like this for a horse initiative. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. And I think the donation thing is in the link, so. Oh, perfect. Speaking of history, that's kind of my news this week, is this is the first time that Israel actually qualified the show jump team for the Olympics. They were just competing and beat Poland by one second to win the Moscow equestrian contest. And they actually then that secured them a place for the Tokyo games next year. So that is really exciting for them because I know a couple of the riders have competed there individually, um, but have not actually competed as a team. So it'll be really exciting to cheer for them next year. Absolutely. That makes me really happy for Danny Goldstein, who, you know, we've written about in the mag, we've talked about her on the show before. She's just had like a really great year and what a way to like cap off right year she was one of the riders in it and it was pretty awesome so it's really exciting that they actually brought a big win and qualified for another spot so that's awesome that's probably so nerve-wracking i wouldn't have want to been have been there you know seriously her liz and mary mare is like one of my favorite horses to watch right now Mm -hmm. so justine you have some kind of weird news (laughs) i don't even know how you say weird or what it is but it's kind of (laughs) little disturbing. So what's great about this news item is it kind of blends uh, both of my worlds in that it is a story that came out of my own newspaper that I work for. So this is an issue that is happening right here in my backyard. Um, So some background for you guys. Uh, Being in Florida, obviously, you can imagine we have a ton of tourists. We've got Disney World. We've got the beach. But there are these groups that do horseback riding adventures for tourists on the beach here. And like, so I see them on my commute to the barn all the time. Like I drive my truck over this big bridge um, to get to the, to get to the barn, which I actually have to like drive over the Gulf. Like, and and it's a really pretty drive. And so naturally it's like the side of the causeway has like a small beach area. That's not, you know, it's not like a main public beach. So that's where you can bring your horses. You see people kiteboarding there all the time and fishing. Um, but so for, for years now, there've been a couple of tour operators that, you know, bring a bunch of horses out there and you can pay to go ride in the water. And they've literally, they've been there forever. You know, it's something it's, it's pretty to see the horses. And like one lady who does the tours here, she only uses like gypsy drum horses and they're really cute. It's pretty to see all the gypsy horses out in the water. 
But uh, our local government here, we have um, like a development board that wants to examine whether or not the horse poop that they leave behind is that bad for our waterways. Um, which, you know, at first when I read the story, I was like, come on, you know, we've got all kinds of other big environmental issues that probably are more polluting to our waterways than horse poop, but they've got some, they've got a point here. So, um, you know, people like families are there kayaking, fishing, just hanging out by the water. And there are several horses that they, you know, they like tie up to the trailer and they, they poop in the sand. I would hope that, and I'm probably, I'm sure that they are responsible and pick it up, but horses are pooping in the water and they're also damaging the the seaweed beds underneath the water like with the you know because the horses go out like a mile or two at low tide like into the water like they they go out pretty far and so they've they've you know they're wondering if that's going to affect the you know the seabeds there and in sea life so there's no set answer yet but our local government is taking this up as you know a a possible environmental problem and they might they could ban horses from from being on the beach there, which is, as I'm sure you can imagine, causing an uproar among horse people. Because there are plenty of people like me, you know, who just have their own private horses. And in the summertime, you know, they go there. They bring they trailer their horses out there to be by the water. Um, so it would be a bummer, of course, if they decide that horses shouldn't be there. But um, I could see how horses could have a slight impact, on, you know, on the marine life. And this is like a high priority issue right now. Cause we've had some of the worst red tide we've had in years this last year. Um, a couple of city governments have dumped their sewage into our bay. So like we're dealing with a bunch of pollution issues and I think um, the timing just is not right for horse people, you know, like I'm afraid they're going to be on the wrong end of this argument, unfortunately. That's sad though. So I, I guess if you're in Tampa, go ride the horses now. Right, before they're gone. <laughs> I feel Absolutely. like horse poop should be the least of the concern. The ocean's full of poop. Like, I know. <laughs> I mean, like, what What do they eat? You know, it's not like they're eating meat, you know? Right. And then the <laughs> other issue, too, is, um, you know, this. it's like a big shipping channel in this area. So there are big boats that come through. You know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of stuff that's that's going on. And I feel like that could potentially be bigger issues. But this is what they're talking about now, you know? Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'll keep you guys updated. And so we have a question for you guys as our listeners. We want to know if why you left your last trainer. So if you left your last training barn and your, your trainer's business, we want to know why. Uh, we put out a survey for the Heels Down Brief a couple of days ago. And you can take that survey still by going to heelsdownmedia.com backslash survey why I left my trainer. We will link that in our show notes so you can find it but we're having a really wonderful time surveying all of our loyal readers and listeners and reading your stories and if you take the survey you could see your answer published in the heels down brief so if and you I, feel- I want to i want to say real quickly for everybody it doesn't have to be your last trainer so please take the survey because it could be why you left any of your past trainers exactly so we just want to know different reasons why people leave so if you have like a funny story or you have like you know whatever a terrible reason or whatever write about it we are dying to hear and your privacy is important to us so please take the survey we have all the um you know all the rules there but i think you will be surprised to read some other people's answers so if you have you know 
advice for someone who wants to leave their trainer. We're all ears. We want to hear about it. And uh, if you are a subscriber to the Heels Down Brief, you can read some of these answers beginning the week of July 22nd. And if you're not a subscriber to the Heels Down Brief, our email newsletter, you can sign up by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. So, Justine, you got a new saddle recently, and it's um, an Australian company, but now they're just coming over into the States. So I'm excited to hear it. It's called Arena Saddle. Tell us about it and tell us a little bit about like what you liked about it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Obviously, anytime you get a new saddle, it's pretty exciting, right? And when I got my thoroughbred, you know, two years ago, his it's amazing how much his body has changed in just two years, just from, you know, dealing with illness, but then also becoming fit. And, you know, it, it could just be so hard to find the right saddle fit. And my thoroughbred, luckily, he's not one with like a shark fin wither, but he's got enormous shoulders, which has always been, you know, the bane of my existence to find a saddle that could not affect his shoulder movement. So I got this saddle from Arena Saddles is the name of the company, which is a a new brand to me. I'd never heard of them before, but I'm so glad I found them. And they make dressage saddles and jumping saddles and then an all-purpose type saddle too. And what I love about this saddle is one, it's super lightweight. It's like the lightest saddle I've ever lifted up. And, but it's still, they don't skimp on any of the details. It's still classically crafted European leather. They're, They took all the time to make sure that they had all this attention to detail with the stitching of the saddle. It's super balanced and has a very supportive seat um, that I find it very supportive both when I'm riding on the flat and over fences. And so I have the jumping saddle. And what I like about it is it doesn't have an incredibly deep seat for a jumping saddle. And that's just maybe a pet peeve of mine. But I like obviously a deep seat for dressage. But for jumping, it's just the right depth for my big butt you know what I mean like where I feel like I'm connected to my horse but I'm not too deep and I feel like the saddle feels incredibly balanced it sits right where it's supposed to Um, the panels underneath the saddle are just so super soft like I could ride it without a half pad or anything and and it sits on my horse's back and he's completely comfortable in it and it's just really an overall great easy saddle to have around Um, I've really enjoyed riding in it so far I've been super, super happy with it. And they come, you know, they come in like a, a really pretty Havana type deep chocolate brown, or you can get a black saddle too. So if you want to learn more about Arena Saddles, you can go to their website, which is arenasaddles.com, where you can see all the specs and everything you need to know about their various saddle models. But you can also see a list of where you can buy a saddle for yourself at various tax stores. Again, that's arenasaddles.com. So we got a question from Marlene in our Heels Down Happy Hour podcast lounge on Facebook, and it's how to not lose your mind while nursing your horse through a soft tissue injury. She is looking at four months of stall rest with an OTTB, and she wants to know help. (laughs) So do you guys have any advice for her? So we're really sorry, first off, that your horse is going through that, but I feel like it's like the thing of horses. They're always off for some reason or some other way. And so how we kind of keep ours 
going basically during stall rest or whatever else because they all get antsy and everything else. It's nice. Our barn, we have a lot of horses, so they kind of interact in that way. But we also try to find uh, once they're able to get out of stall rest, like as soon as possible, is we have like these little like quarantine or like round pin paddocks that are tiny. So they do get to see like it's honestly a stall outside. So they feel like they're getting to go out. So like that has helped us is like finding you know, obviously talking to your vet, like when it's actually able to go and do that, but we do it only on monitored turnout. We watch them, but if they can go out for an hour, a lot of times we'll have to like use like ACE or something, um, to kind of keep them quiet to start with. But that has seemed to be one of the best ways is like talking to our vets and saying, look, can we put them in this outside paddock basically? So they feel like they are, but it's the size of a stall. So, you know, they're actually moving around a little bit more, but they seem to like in their minds help it a little bit. But, um, for us, obviously it's a little different and I'd love to hear what you guys do, um, Justine and Ellie, but with us, like there's always like kind of a, another horse that we have to go through the system with that. If one's hurt, we've got plenty more kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is nice. But for, um, I can kind of talk with when I was off for being pregnant, I actually started just kind of finding like a group to join. And I did a lot of like exercises that kept me riding fit so that when I got done with Hudson, having Hudson and doing the whole labor and everything else, I would actually feel pretty good and be pretty fit. So I stayed actually pretty in shape by doing different exercise groups. And it was fun. I'd go with friends and do some yoga or bar classes and things like that, like exercises kept me pretty fit. And that was just a good way to keep my mind off, not the fact that I wasn't riding. It's a good idea. What about you, Ellie? So I've been through this a couple of times with like horses I leased and stuff growing up, you know, cause I feel like everybody's been there, you know, but my mom's horse, uh, when I was in high school managed to tear some ligament in like her fetlock area. And at the time, you know, it sucks, right. To sideline your riding, you know, but like literally the day after she was back to like, could canter. Um, she colicked really bad. Uh, she was displaced on both sides and like we barely got her to the hospital in time. Um, so luckily, I mean, she made it through surgery and, um, but obviously her rehab was then back to ground zero and now it had a whole nother level of, you know, complexity to it with the healing on the inside and her stitches and God knows, but that was really like a wake up call for me. Cause I remember thinking, you know, like, God, I just want to ride like this sucks, you know, but it's like, it made me realize that like, what's important is like how much I loved this horse, you know? And honestly, I just like loved grooming her in her stall and obviously grazing her when I could. Um, but I think that, you know, rehab time is like a great time to learn, like, just like horse skills. Right. So you, you're learning the bandaging, obviously, you know, But, like, also I practiced, you know, braiding and, like, learning about horse massage because I was like, well, my horse can't leave the stall, you know, and she's bored and I'm bored. So I just, like, practiced kind of those things on her. And I think, like, our partnership after she came back from that was better than it ever was just from, like, the quality time that, like, we spent together. That sounds, like, really cheesy, but... No, I, I mean, that's my advice too, Ellie, just the, I feel like sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up. And when you're going to the barn, especially if you're busy and you're, you know, you're, you feel like you're lucky just to get out to the barn a couple days a week that we just ride, right? We just ride every time we're there. 
So I think this is a, a good horsemanship opportunity to do other things with your horse, you know, get to know them better, uh, learn more about their quirks, what, you know, whatever you can do that's, you know, not going to put stress on their actual rehab. But for me, for me, I become like an anxious, nervous, crazy person. And then I go down the Google hole of trying to read every little thing about what I could be doing better to make my horse better faster. So my advice to you is do not do that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just trust your trust your vet, trust your, you know, your people at your barn that are helping you keep an eye on your horse and and try to find other things to do. So Honestly, I think my husband would love it if uh, Mikey had a like three month rehab break because we'd probably go and do more stuff like plan more trips. You know what I mean? Things that would keep my mind off of knowing that my horse was out with an injury. But this is also a great time to go audit a clinic, go take a lesson with a trainer you've always wanted to ride with, but maybe your horse wasn't at the right level yet. You know, there are plenty of things you can go and do and still feel productive uh, keep your fitness up um, and still feel like you're, you know, you're scratching that horse itch. Are you guys tired of cold therapy products that don't actually stay cold? Ice Horse is proven to stay colder three times longer than gel wraps or buckets of ice and water. Backed by scientific testing, Ice Horse chirotherapy really works. No wonder it's preferred by professional riders, leading vets, and top physiotherapists. Learn more at icehorse.net. Okay, so we're going to talk about something that I've always really wanted to talk about with you guys, especially you, Jess, because this is something that I feel like I struggle with personally all the time. So I'm really happy that Kathy from our Facebook group asked this question. And Kathy says she's an adult amateur. And one of her biggest struggles with riding is feeling in quotes. So feeling of a movement or exercise. Sometimes doing it over and over isn't the best advice since your horse doesn't react the same each time. So do we have any suggestions for her, words of wisdom? And I I want, I'm really curious to hear, you know, what you guys have to say, because for me as an amateur, you know, I think about, I'm in a dressage lesson and my trainer's on the ground in the middle of the ring trying to explain something to me as best she can with words. And she's also talking a lot with her hands and moving her body all around to try to, to try to get (laughs) me to understand what she what she wants me to feel on the saddle, right? When I use the right cue or I use the extra leg pressure or in that microsecond where my horse gives and is super light, like she wants me to understand that that, you know, that is the goal, right? But it can be really hard. We'll do an exercise five, six times and I'll get a glimpse of it maybe each time. But you know that eureka moment where you finally go, oh my God, I know what you've been yelling at me about for the last 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) Is there something that, Maybe Ellie, we'll start with you as someone, you know, you're a rider, you're a trainer. How do you, how do you help encourage someone who's like trying to find that right feel in the moment? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it depends on right each exercise, you know? Um, but like for anyone starting out, especially if like my owners come and, you know, want to ride the horse that I've been breaking, right. If they come like the best thing I recommend them to do is to trot like as fast or as slow as the horse wants to go and just kind of like sit and just kind of get like a feel for like their natural rhythm. Um, because I feel like once you have that, you have a, you you know, a baseline. So if you can get them lighter than that, okay, then you, you, you know, a difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So then after that, like for me, like 
writing terms, I, I count rhythms like all the time, you know, so, and it's the same kind of thing so that I can feel the difference. You know, if, if I'm, you know, trotting and it's one, two, one, two, and you know, the one extends longer because I got him to actually extend and push off his hind end, you know, then I, I can notice the difference in the counting, but like everything I do is from counting rhythms. Like I had a trainer growing up that was always like, oh, okay, count to the jump. And I, I never counted like three, two, one. Cause it would mess up my like rhythm counting of, cause I count all the way around the course, you know, like I'm like one, two, three, one, two, three. It's kind of stupid, but I think it works really well. What about you, Jess, as someone who's like, you're trying to explain Something that, because some of it goes beyond just explaining how to do a movement, right? It's like understanding the give. Well, it's that or... feeling. It's that thing that everybody wants to go and you can't teach feeling, you know, they have to feel it. And that's the hardest thing to teach is feeling because it's very, very hard, if not impossible, because they have, you want to teach them on how to do it. So then they feel it. And right. so that's what the hardest thing is like. I found either, yes, doing it over and over, it's very hard, but getting it on different horses. So you kind of say, look, this is what I've been trying to get you to do on this horse and that will make it easier. So I've used examples if they have multiple horses or also what I find very useful is having them watch, especially like jumping or trying to do an exercise to get the feeling so that they're lighter or they're not pulling or kicking or whatever else is having somebody else do the exercise as well, or even the movement and go, look, watch this, like even watch how they kind of progress to see it and how they do it. And then they go, Oh, I see how it's not working. Or they see how it's working. Go, look, that's what you are doing. If you can catch the shoulders and do all this, your horse won't run out the outside or whatever the exercise is. And so a lot of it is then you can see and also then feel it. So that has been a helpful thing is like to kind of do it in sort of groups, if that makes sense. So they can kind of see it with their peers. And then also, I mean, cause feeling is so hard is just getting them to go, okay, if I hop on and then they can kind of see it in their own horse. So if I hop on the horse or whatever, and then they can hopefully go, okay, look, this is helpful. So then they go, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. So then sometimes if you fix the horse really quickly, then they can hop on and then feel it on that particular horse. That was going to be my question for you is, do you get on and, and demonstrate it for them? Cause i I find that helpful, but I know some yes. people aren't into that. Um, yeah. And I think it's different people are different tastes or whatever. And like sure. certain horses, you know, whatever it is, but a lot of times that if they're not getting it within that first couple, you know, times of repeating it, what am I going to do? Just sit there on repeat. Like I might as well just do a recording and then I don't need to be there basically. So it's like, okay, let's change it up and do something different. Whether I get on it, do a different exercise. So I find it helpful for me to get on, show them, and then they can see it and then get on and feel it. That makes sense to me. Now, Ellie, I know you also rode in college, which is, you know, essentially the, you know, catch riding system. And I think that's an interesting example to talk about here because with, when you're trying to establish a feel, you're thinking of a horse you've been, you know, developing a relationship with for a long time, but that doesn't work in a catch riding situation. So maybe, do you have tips for, for that? Cause that's almost, for me, I feel like that's what taught me how to understand the balance in the give and take of, 
of feeling a specific movement or a feeling a specific connection to a horse, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought about that when Jess was saying, you know, watching other people, you know, because when you get to, I mean, I did IHSA. So if you get there and you're watching the warm up, you know, you can see, you know, what the rider's doing that's either, you know, making for successful jumps or like causing some issues, you know, like, oh, does it not like when you sit on them really hard in the corner, you know, and that I think is a really good way to kind of get to know a horse's likes and dislikes. But then in terms of like, you know, getting on and actually be able to catch rides successfully, like, I feel like, you know, you have to kind of one adjust really fast, but also just, I don't know. I just, I just try to let the horse like do what it wants for a couple strides. And then like, I'll try, okay, like, can I take a little more rain, you know? And then I kind of see their response. Does that make sense, Justine? Like, what did you do in college? Yeah, no, that does make sense to me. So, so I rode on my dressage team for college and obviously I I feel like that's a little bit of a different situation than like the hunt seat team. Uh, I mean, they both have their challenges, but so when I got on, I, I was immediately trying to do a warm up that was suppling this horse, you know, because I, I had no idea what I ha- was getting on. So lots of small circles, big circles, trying to establish that connection, getting uh, the horse to a point where I go, OK, I, how fluid is he going to be? Can I ask him uh, for more coming through his back or is this low stretch the, more, the most I'm going to get out of him? Right. So mm-hmm. um, for me, it was putting the horse to work right away. And just kind of being like, okay, I'm the, I had to be the confident alpha rider in this situation to assess in my, you know, whatever, what was it like a 10 minute warm up of how much, how much I'm going to get out of this horse before I got to go ride this test. So, you know, what can I ask him for realistically? Um, And so that was like a lot of lateral work and a lot of immediately getting on my leg and going forward uh, to see what I, what I had to work with. Oh, see that, that would have been a not nice, my sister does the dressage team for college and she, um, you know, gets a warm up and stuff for IHSA for hunt seat and Western, there's no warm up. So like, I would have to go in and do a raining pattern and I'm like, it's just, I get what I get, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so we had, we had a short warm up, not a long warm up, but I had like 10 minutes, I think maybe less than that. I'm old, so don't quote me on it, but <laughs> Yeah, I know NCAA or NCEA runs like that too, you know, so you get that chance to get the feel, you know, but it's, I think, at least in my experience for catch riding in college, it, it was kind of like, you kind of test real quick, you know, down alongside and then you, you get what you get and you kind of just have to go with it. So I think that that helped me a lot, though, with younger horses, you know, because I'm able to kind of let the horse do what they are comfortable with before I ask them to change and, you know, ask for more shape and stuff like that. Sure. That makes sense to me. So smart pack has this lovely tagline that I I've always really liked. Like it brings a smile to my face when I read it on their website and maybe that makes me a nerd, but uh, the tagline is because you shouldn't have to worry about anything, but your best friend. And I just love that. And I think that, is emulated perfectly in Smart Pack's Colicare program, which is a free program which works in conjunction with your existing equine insurance and even covers senior horses because it has no upper age limit. And it's basically a policy that, that works for colic in your horses. So if you have 
any questions about how this program works with Smart Pack, you should go to smartpackequine.com. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Who wants to go first? I can, I go. can go first. Yeah, oh. you go. Okay. I'll let you go. <laughs> well, okay, so mine are kind of connected. So my rose is that I adopt, so the shelter I work at was doing a buy one, get one sale for cats <laughs> for the month of June. <laughs> And I'm not a big cat person, but, like, barn cats, like, I love, you know, just having cats around the barn and not having to worry about mice. So I adopted two barn kittens. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys have watched the X-Files, but Matt and I are total nerds, so we named them Scully and Mulder. They're brothers. Oh, my gosh! I love that. Yeah, so they're they're really cute and they're full of energy and you know right now they're still really small so they're confined to the barn you know because I've got a lot of predators so not until they're bigger can they you know roam but they're super cute and they're definitely my rose but my thorn is related because Matt was not thrilled when I brought them home um, and he has told me that there are no more animals allowed. But I said, you know, maybe if I get like a really good deal and he was like, you can always make anything into a deal. You'll see a horse for, you know, oh, this horse is worth a million dollars and say, I can get it for 500,000. That's a great deal. (laughs) So he's he's kind of mad at me, but whatever. They don't live in the house, so he can't be too mad. Yeah. And they're going to (laughs) be helpful around the barn. That's what I told him. I said these were an investment and it was a BOGO sale. Like, okay, if there's buy one, get one, you have to do it. It's like pay less. But anyway, so Jess, what's yours? So mine is, so I think it was last week. I can't even tell you weeks and stuff. I think it was actually two weeks ago. But anyways, Quincy, that quintessence source of ours, it's like super cool. He's the eight-year-old show jumper. He won his first Grand Prix and my parents were in town to watch it. And it was at um, the Aiken Summer classic that's in down in Aiken and Bob Bell with classic company puts it on. So it's a great show, great venue. And Quincy won his first Grand Prix. Like, so Doug was super excited to add another Grand Prix win to his whole thing. But the cutest part was Hudson was there and he, as soon as he won, started cheering so loud and clapping and it's Aww. the cutest video. And so oh, you have that a video? is my rose. Oh, I have, I have a video of it. It's the cutest thing. And he, now it's so bad. I mean, people are going to judge me because my child gets on my phone all the time and plays on it. So yes, my 18 month old knows how to use my iPhone. It's really kind of scary, oh but gosh. he, he gets into the photos and he loves watching that video. He will go into the video and just watch it on repeat of himself cheering like <laughs> daddy wine. And then he's cheering. So that is so, so cute. cute. Can you post that in the, I'll in post the lounge? It. It's just so it's so cute. So he watches it like every day, like as a reminder, Quincy won, Quincy won. So it's the cutest thing. So now you need to do a sequel, which is a video of Hudson watching himself on video. Right. (laughs) He loves watching himself on video or pictures. And then he'll like go up to people and be like, ah, and he shows them the picture of himself, get any giggles. I'm like, yes, that is (laughs) you, buddy. Yes, I'm so glad you're proud of yourself. So that is definitely my rose. And then my thorn is in a couple weeks, Hudson's going to start. It makes me a little nervous, but it will be good. He's going to start ISR swimming lessons. And it's the infant like for basically it's like self-recovery so that they basically teach the kids. So it's not really swimming lessons, but they teach the kid that if they 
dump in the water, they roll over to their back and then they can like basically roll over for a second, roll back over in their back. So it's not about swimming, but it's about if they fall in fully clothed, like at the end, they actually like toss them in with summer clothes and winter clothes two different times and they have to flip over. And so like it gives you an extra for me, it will give me a little bit like more security saying, okay, look, like not that you don't want to be on top of him, but if he slips and falls and I'm on the other side, it gives me two extra seconds to basically get in the pool to go get him. So, but they're pretty intense. Like they only do it for 10 minutes, but he has to go for five weeks for 10 minutes, five days a week. I'm like, that's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. They have a program like that though. Cause that's, yeah. So, yeah, I've had a couple friends like love it and stuff. So that's my thorn is that one, it's like just going to be a little nerve wracking because I think at first he's probably not going to like it, but he loves the pool. And so I'm like, look, buddy, you got to learn to like when you jump in, you can flip back over. So that is definitely my thorn this week. So we have to start that. Justine, what about you? So my rose is uh, a shout out to Lynn, who is uh, who boards her horses with me at the barn because I had no idea she listened to the podcast until she sent me a Facebook message uh, the other week and said, I heard your shout out on your podcast that I'm the grandma snowbird. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) So that's awesome. From our segment where we were talking about find your tribe and barn families. And I mentioned Lynn who, um, who is a snowboard. She's spending her summer in Michigan and I'm super jealous right now with her horses um, but yeah, so my rose is that Lynn listens to the podcast <laughs> and, um, so that's my shout out to her. And then my thorn, which Jess is going to roll her eyes because it's oh, not no. really a thorn, but, um, I am riding in a clinic this weekend and I'm, su- I'm super nervous. Like I should be excited, but I'm nervous. And it's, it's with the German riding instructor who we've had on the show before. <gasps> Ronnie yeah. I'm really excited. He's coming to a, a really nice barn, like literally five minutes away from my barn. So I'm going and I'm riding both days in the clinic, but it's been a long time since I've, you know, gone out and done a clinic and it, so I'm a little nervous. I don't, It'll I don't be know. Fun. I'm like, Oh, I, I'm not like super happy with my equitation right now. I feel like I'm a little lazy and a little weak. And the last video that my trainer took of me at the barn, I feel like I look fat in my breeches. And I'm like, oh, now I'm going to try to put it all together and go to this clinic in the middle of Ju- or in the beginning of July when it's going to be super hot. I don't know. No, that'll be fun. But I do see why you're like, it's nervous to like go to those big clinics and stuff. So I do get, I actually do agree with you this time that yes, it is. I can see that being a thorn, but once you go, then that's going to be your rose. I think so too. I think I just got to get there and ride and then I'll be like, this was the greatest thing ever. So yeah, absolutely. uh, um, my horse is sweating. He's doing really well. That's the only reason why we're going. I'm such like, um, ridiculous, paranoid horse mom that I took him, I drove him to the vet last week to like, make sure he was going to be okay to go to this. Cause I worry like asking him to work too hard in, in the summer, you know, but I feel like with clinics, you ride a little bit, then you got to stop and wait and watch everybody else in your session. Right. So it shouldn't be like too much work. Right. No, it'll be good. No, it'll be yeah, good. Lots sure. of walking breaks. Okay, good. So anyways, that's my thorn for now. But Jess, we have this mailbag from Lindsay in the Facebook group that is really quite fascinating. And since you and Doug work with owners quite a bit, I was hoping you could answer it. So Lindsay wants to know, 
She wants to know more about what owners are and why they're a thing in the eventing world. What's in it for them? What's the relationship and interaction with the horse like? And at what level do you start to find owners who aren't riding or showing the horses? Is it a thing in other disciplines? So, um, well, I'll start at kind of the beginning, but basically I think what's in it for them is they get to be part of the team kind of atmosphere and they get to go behind the scenes. They go to big events, they go to the barns, they go to, you know, the sponsor areas and stuff, and they get to feel like part of the program. And a lot of our owners don't ride at the upper levels, but they have dreams to go to the Olympics and, you know, do all of this. So they got to kind of be part of that. So we have owners that, you know, for us that we own percentage of most of our big horses, not all of them, of course. And so we kind of, everybody's a little bit different of why they come in, but it's basically, they want to be part of it. And, you know, we have one that's, she's like one of my favorite ladies ever. She's actually, I teach her and she's like, I just wanted to be a groupie. Like, and now I have a legit excuse and she's like, I want to go everywhere. So she, you know, we have owners that come with us, you know, even to help cheer on other horses that aren't theirs. Like we had, you know, Catherine who came to Europe last year with the getaway and she doesn't own that one. So stuff like that is kind of fun. So they kind of become part of this group and they all get along and they love it. So that's part of it, why they kind of want to. And then when do we really start finding owners? So we try to buy a baby a year, like a weanling a year. And then when they're about, and we buy them that are more jumper bred so they can do the, but they have enough thoroughbred blood so they can do either discipline. And then when they're about five or six, we kind of have a gut feeling what discipline they're going to kind of go for. Are they going to be a better jumper? They're going to be a better venter. And that's kind of, cause some of our owners don't really want to own jumpers and vice versa. So that's kind of when we go, okay, look, you know, let's do that and see who would want to be a good fit for this horse to what he's going to do. Because for us, the term, you know, we want to keep these horses till they're going to be either Olympic horses or big time Grand Prix horses or them if they're not going to be or something changes, then we sell them. So it's kind of that sort of situation for us. So what about other disciplines? So uh, obviously you guys have owners, you ride in multiple disciplines, but do you see just as many ownership situations like in the show jumping arena as you do in dressage or? I think it's different. I think the eventing has a lot of syndications and everything. And that's where you don't see that. And I think, I mean, I know other disciplines have different owners and stuff like that, but like mainly I see in the show jumping is there's one owner for the horse or whatever, or we're part owners in it. But I think you see a lot of those syndications and everything more in eventing, but I mean, I could be wrong. Like in the Western world, Ellie, is that kind of a thing for you guys? Like, do you have one owner, multiple owners? What do you guys kind of do? Yeah. So the, the upper level, like reigning, um, horses that I know of, are kind of like uh, racehorse situations where the owner and the rider are completely separate. You know, like they bought the horse, but then they found, you know, a big name to ride it, basically. I don't know if later on, you know, if they work out some kind of like percentage like you guys are talking about, but mostly it's separate. And that, you know, owner has dreams of breeding the horse or, you know, and wants to do what's, you know, going to make the horse successful. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it's a bit different because we buy them as the babies and then find the owners or we have owners 
that, you know, the horse comes to us for various reasons. And then, you know, Van Diver came as maybe he was going to be sold. Maybe he was going to be this. And, you know, we kind of found something in him and he had done the level, but you know, that was one of the things they were like, maybe we sell him as a show jumper. And we said, Hey, why don't we kind of figure out something situation wise? And they said, absolutely. And obviously everybody's thrilled that we did that between all of us. And so, and the Quincy horse came to be sold. And then, um, one of our owners that she's owned in the past horses for us and had sent us a bunch of her breeding horses. She's bred. They bought Quincy as a four-year-old, five-year-old. He was almost five. And then he was an event horse and then turned out to be obviously an amazing Grand Prix show jumper. So how much does it cost to buy like in that situation? And, and like what percentage do you guys own versus you have the owner's own? So it's, I mean, anything under the books, like you can think about, like we own 5% to 25% to 50% to 100% is kind of all over the map where we don't mind kind of talking about things going, okay, look, like what works for you? We'll figure out a way, you know, we're up for kind of different things. So for us, every situation is different. And we basically we can only like numbers wise own a certain amount of horses before, like we're in the wrong numbers basically. So we kind of keep it in that. And that's where like, once they're five or six years old, we go, okay, look, financially we need to sell this horse. Or if we think, you know, at the time we're capable money wise to own part of it, then that's when we kind of go for, um, an owner. So that's why a lot of times, like, you know, I'm selling one of my young horses. It's not because we don't think he's super and nice. It's because if we own another part of a horse, like, you know, that's taking up a stall that really needs to be in a training horse so that we can keep and afford doing this kind of situation because it is, it's expensive. Like, will you ask about costs? Like, will basically depends on what percentage they buy at. Right. So, There'll be anything. I mean, right now we've been looking for clients that for preliminary horses, I had people calling being like, okay, well, we've got like 65 to 85 for a young rider. They want like a now three star horse. And I'm like, we have been looking for those and they're all priced over a hundred, which is wow. ridiculous. Like yeah. the numbers in eventing, I mean, obviously, yes, there's the outliers where you can find them and everything else, but we're, you know, kind of, unless you're going overseas and importing them, which is still expensive over there, the numbers are going up and eventing. And so, I mean, it's good and bad, right? Like it's, it's got its pros and cons to it, but it is very expensive for the horses. And then cost of it a year to run an upper level horses between for us, what the expenses are is between like 50 to $60,000 a year for the horse. Okay. So then you break up what percentage you basically own. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a lot. I mean, these horses are expensive and that's why we're like, okay, well we can own a part of them, but we're so thankful to have the owners that we have because they're so supportive and we couldn't do it without them, honestly. So if you guys have a question you want us to answer on the show, you can send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com, or you're always welcome to post in our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge on Facebook. And if you want to hear more from us, please subscribe to the Heels Down Brief by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. 
And please leave us a review if you love our show anywhere you listen to our show. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen, uh, we always appreciate a review. And we just want to say thank you to our partners this week, which are Flare Strips, Arena Saddles, Ice Horse, and Smart Pack. All right, guys. Cheers. 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 <laughs>